Hey, what's up, NFL fans? Happy Monday. And for some of you, like my co-host Rob Stats Guerrero, it's a victory Monday for his San Francisco 49ers. Welcome to the Fans First Football Show. I hope this is becoming part of your weekly schedule, the shows that you always listen to, never miss. If you're watching us live, grab a cup of coffee and let's talk about the NFL action. But Rob, how's it going, man? You got to be flying high. Oh, it's going pretty great. Love to be 2-0. I can't imagine what it's like to not be 2-0, not score 30 points a game. Life is good for me right now. Oh, yeah, he's gloating, and that's fine. He has every right to do that because he is, hey, they're 2-0, and and they're looking good. We're going to talk about the 49ers. Just in general, I thought this was a great week of football. I thought the, the, the Sunday slate of games, I thought it delivered. You had some low-scoring affairs that were very entertaining, like, uh, when you talk about Chiefs, Jaguars, you had some very high-scoring games, overtime games. Rob, what was your takeaway just in general of this week, too? Yeah, I thought it was way more entertaining than week one. A lot of comebacks. I feel yeah. like, for me, game management for some of these coaches, I feel like is becoming a real thing, and we can talk about it, especially Jags, Chiefs. That one's jumping out to me, but like these coaches got to handle these games better and make better decisions. And I feel like week after week after week, they screw it up. And sometimes it's just a matter of the, there's the coach that overanalyzes everything. And then there's the coach that just seems to have no freaking clue whatsoever. (laughs) Down distance, situational awareness, timeouts, when to use them, when not to use them with the two minute warning. I understand there are some nuances there. And a lot of teams do have coaches and help in that regard, but let's dive into this. Let's start off on Sunday, the one o'clock slate of games. One of the few blowouts that we had in this past week the Bills and Raiders. Raiders go across country. They had been in West Virginia training most of the most of the week, and the Buffalo Bills just blow their doors off, thirty-eight to ten. Josh Allen, what a bounce back game for him! Not much that I really have to say. I watched a little bit of this game, and it was dominant. What do you think about the Bills now? I think that the Bills can just exhale a little bit. Josh Allen really needed a bounce back game after losing to the Jets and just being reckless with the football in Week One. Yeah. We got good Josh Allen yesterday, 31 of 37, 274 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. That's the Josh Allen that the Bills need him to be. The Raiders stink. Jimmy Garoppolo is the same Jimmy Garoppolo he's always been. You could see <laughs> it is such a relief watching him. He drops back to pass. That first read is not open. You see those feet start to get going, and you know nothing good is going to happen for you. After that point, and that's who Jimmy Garoppolo is. Bills, this was a handle your business game, and the Bills did. I feel like you got some Jimmy G like stuff, like still up, up there. It's like it's still festering a little bit. It's just, it's like when you get divorced and then you see your ex and they're doing all the stuff that drives you crazy, but it's like it doesn't drive me crazy anymore. It's not my problem anymore. Right. That's the magic of divorce. Like I'm good. It's just, <laughs> it's incredible that it never changes. That someone else is crazy, but for the Bills, Yes, they get good Josh Allen, and that's, hey, fantastic. But at the same time, they need more consistency from Josh Allen. You can't have these, the crap fest of week one and then a great week two. Like, if they're going to ever win a Super Bowl, they're going to need some consistent play at the quarterback position. But you're right. The Buffalo Bills fan base should be able to exhale a little bit and say, ah, okay, very good. Let's go to the next game, a game I was very intrigued about as a Steeler fan. Ravens-Bengals, AFC North matchup in Cincinnati, this game, the, the final score is 27-24. I watched almost all of this game. It was not that close. The Baltimore Ravens really did dominate this game. They dominated time of possession. Uh, they, Lamar Jackson and that offense, it's very unique. It doesn't seem like it's fully clicking yet. 
but they're the typical Ravens. And Joe Burrow, here's the storyline for me, re-aggravates that calf injury. This is a storyline of all storylines. Rob, what was your takeaway from this game? Well, two things. First, yeah, obviously Cincinnati with the Burrow injury, that's the biggest thing. But the, the Bengals can't move the ball. 282 total yards of offense. It's got to be better than that. Maybe Joe Burrow is way more banged up than we even realize because it just doesn't look right right now. And especially with the offensive line issues they have in Cincinnati, like that calf injury is going to be a little dicey for Cincinnati. And on the flip side for Baltimore, Lamar Jackson is getting rid of the ball faster than he ever has. They're still learning a new offense, but I like what I'm seeing from the Ravens. You know, 24 of 33 for Lamar, 237 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, still had 12 carries. Like, I like what the Ravens offense is doing, and I think it'll look better and better as the year goes along. So I think two teams headed in opposite directions in the AFC North. Odell Beckham Jr. left the game with an ankle injury. We don't know about the severity of that. What else is new? You know, Odell Beckham Jr. is injured. But on top of that, the Bengals... You know, everyone's like, oh, well, Joe Burrow re-aggravated his calf. Yeah, it, it's, it's noteworthy. But I think back to when Joe Burrow was, well, the Joe Burrow we expect, how much of his game was based around mobility? I mean, he was still pretty much a pocket passer. He's a drop back, find the read. Yeah, he could run, and he's mobile enough. It, th- their offensive front looks really, really bad, and they've invested into that group, and now they invested a ton of money into their quarterback for the Bengals. In terms of panic level, how how high should they be panicked right now after an 0-2 start? It, I could see both sides, right? Because on the one hand, you say, hey, teams that are 0-2 usually don't make the playoffs. Joe Burrow has started 0-2 three times in his career. At the same time, they started 0-2 last year, and they ended up just fine. So you could look both ways, but if I'm a fan, I'm saying, look, how many times can you buck history, right? Or why do we always have to team that be the team that overcomes these incredible holes? Like, how about we just don't put ourselves in the hole in the first place? But exactly. it's too late now. That's where Cincinnati is. And it, look, the AFC is an absolute slog. And it's going to be a tough hole for Cincinnati to dig out of. Not to mention their two losses are two division losses. They lost to the yes. Browns in week one, the Bengals in week two. And just so you talk about history, Bucking history since the AFC North came into existence in 2002. No team has ever won it three years in a row. The Bengals won it the last two years. Something to keep in the back of your mind as this year progresses. Let's go to the game that you mentioned earlier with coaching issues or questionable decisions. The Chiefs, they rally. They It wasn't always pretty. Find a way to win 17-9 to against the Jaguars. This game was more about the Chiefs' defense than the Chiefs' offense. They get Chris Jones back. He has a good game. Rob, what did you want to talk about with this game and the coaching decisions? Well, I think Doug Peterson got a little bit stung early in the game. You know, Jags have the ball, nine minutes and 41 seconds left in the second quarter. It's 3 nothing Jacksonville. They just get an interception off Patrick Mahomes. They drive all the way down the field. It's fourth and five at the 45-yard line, and Doug Peterson decides we're going for it, which I absolutely loved, by the way. Trevor Lawrence gets sacked. Loses five yards. Jags turn the ball over. Chiefs get it back and score a touchdown. I think that was in Doug Peterson's head at the end of the game. Unbelievable. Not not at the end of the game, I should say. In the fourth quarter. First and goal. At the one-yard line, Jacksonville has the ball. Trevor Lawrence loses three yards. Second down, throws an incompletion. Third down, incompletion. Fourth and goal at the four-yard line. In a game where you were down by one score, it's 14-6. to 
And what does Doug Peterson do? He trots out Brandon McManus for a 22-yard field goal. I have no idea why he did this. I think he got stung because they didn't get the fourth down earlier in the game, and that was in his head. They absolutely should have gone for it. I don't know. what You're at the four-yard line. What are you kicking a field goal for? You're still It's still a one-score game even if you make the field goal. I don't get it at all. Kansas City got the ball back, kicked their own field goal. So now Jacksonville has to get the ball first and 10 with eight minutes to go, still down by that eight points that they were originally down by, and now they have less time to do it, and they're further away from the goal line than they were originally. What the hell is Doug Peterson doing? I agree with you that the the previous decision probably impacted his decision there in the fourth quarter. I think sometimes coaches just have this gut feeling like, hey, maybe the Kansas City defense did dominate the line of scrimmage in this game, and they they were pressuring Trevor Lawrence and maybe not always getting to him because he is a mobile quarterback, but man, I agree with you. If you're, if you're going to make that call early, you you just told your players, essentially, I don't trust that you're going to get it. So we're going to trot out the field goal kicker for a little chip shot. Instead of saying like, go out and prove that you can get the job. done." Never mind that you have, you know, quarterback God, right? The chosen one, Trevor Lawrence, who you picked first overall, who's supposed to be like really, really good. You're not putting the ball in his hands. And then instead of attacking the weaker part of the Chiefs, which is their defense, you decide, no, we're going to kick a field goal and hope to stop the more difficult or the better part of the Chiefs offense in Patrick Mahomes. It makes no sense to me. And again, you kick the field goal. So your plan is to stop them on defense, right? Well, even if you don't get it and you turn the ball over, you've pinned Kansas City all the way back and your plan is to stop them anyway. So what difference is? I don't understand how these coaches think about this. I honestly think it's because Doug Peterson got stopped early in the game, and if he got stopped again, he didn't want to have people say, well, what if you just kicked a field goal? You would have done it. Like, no. Go for it. I- I'm stunned. And Doug Peterson is a guy that usually does go for it. He's usually very aggressive in those situations. I don't know what happened, but it was a terrible decision. Let's talk about the Chiefs offense, though, for a second. I mean, When I think mm-hmm. of Jaguars, I don't think about Jaguars like the defense. Like I don't think, oh, man, this defense is top 10 in the league. They might be. They're not bad. But I think about the Jaguars, I think about the offense, I think about Trevor Lawrence, Calvin Ridley, some of the weapons they have on that side of the ball. Patrick Mahomes gets Travis Kelsey back, and Kelsey gets a touchdown. Of course. It just doesn't, of course, it just doesn't seem to be vibing in the right direction right now. I don't know if it's the fact that they've lost so much talent over the years, whether you're talking about Tyreek Hill or even someone that is like a Juju Smith-Schuster who was on the Super Bowl team but then goes to New England in free agency. Do you see it the way I do that, man, like there's something off a little bit about this Chiefs offense? Oh, I think it's clear. It's just not quite clicking the way that they usually do. They were just two for four in the red zone. They actually ran the ball for almost five yards to carry, which is surprising because that, you know, you don't think of the Chiefs as like a high powered rushing offense, but they were just four of 13 on third down. And if you can't convert on third down, you can't keep drives going. And look, we're no, no one's going to panic on a team led by Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. But at some point, they have to do the damn thing. And right now, it, it does seem like more of a struggle for the Chiefs than it has been in years past. But good teams find a way to win the ugly ones. I'd say yes. that's what the Chiefs did, beating the Jaguars 17-9. to Let's go to another coach that you love to talk about, Brandon Staley, the Chargers and the Titans. <laughs> for those listening, you can't see Rob rolling his eyes and shaking his head. The Titans win in overtime 27-24 to again. The Chargers just, they cannot get out of their own way. Kudos to the Titans for finding a way, coming back and winning. Rob, what do you think about this one? Chargers going to charge her. 
That's all That's I'm going right. to say. They have scored 50 points through two weeks. I don't think they have a single turnover, and yet they're 0-2. Like, they just find ways to lose these games. Justin Herbert, 300 yards passing, two touchdowns, no picks. But yet, they lose. When it's a close game, you're just going to find a way to lose, and I don't care what they say. That stuff gets in your head. Somehow they have to snap out of this. I don't know how they're going to do it, but you we have so much talent, and you're the Chargers. And Justin Herbert is a great quarterback, and he played well in this game. And yet, you can't beat the Titans? Like, this is supposed to be one of your easier games if you're the Chargers, and they just they find ways to lose, like, seemingly every week. I mean, Staley is not an entrenched coach like some of the coaches around the league, the Bill Belichick's, the Mike Tomlin's, the John Harbaugh's. Could this be a midseason? Look, we need a change. Like, could you see this if this continues going down this path? They just say, look, you're gone and we're going to make a move. You think that could happen? A thousand percent. Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator. I think he's Good the head coach point. waiting. Yes. I think he was absolutely hired with that in mind. Like, hey, if it starts to go south, we've seen enough of Brandon Staley and, uh, I think I would not be shocked at all if he's, I don't know the odds, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's the first coach fired. How long has this been like a Chargers thing though? Like I, I even think Phillip Rivers, back when he was yes. the quarterback, there was the same storylines all the time. Man, the Chargers are going to be really, really good and they just continue to underperform. Kind of feel bad for that fan base a little bit, but still. Titans, hey, kudos to the Titans. The, the, the Titans, no one's expecting them to do anything this year. Ryan Tannehill is the scapegoat among scapegoats with that franchise they're drafting will levis they've got malik willis and you know derrick henry is derrick henry but no one's expecting any of the titans and they find a way to win so i do want to give them some kudos anything stand out on the stat line with the tennessee titans so the titans are like the almost the opposite of the chargers like their game management mike vrabel is an excellent situational head coach not surprising considering he played for bill belichick for all those years but that he is the opposite. He finds a way to win these games, I feel like. And Tennessee didn't even get the ball first in overtime. The Chargers got the ball first yeah. and went three and out. So they still had to stop the Chargers and then get the ball back and score and win. We got good Ryan Tannehill this week. He was awful in week one, 20 of 24 for 246 and a touchdown in this game. That's the guy they need him to be. That's their formula. They need efficient Ryan Tannehill. They need to protect the football. And they need to hit some big plays. And Traylon Burks was the guy they drafted to replace A.J. Brown. He had three catches in the game, 76 yards with a long of 70. So he connected on that one play. And in these close games, that one player can make or break you. Absolutely. A game that was really entertaining. I didn't get to watch a lot of this one based on the fact that it was at the 1 o'clock time slot. And I was focusing on the AFC North matchup. Falcons and Packers. The Atlanta Falcons win the game by one, 25-24. Back and forth affair. Jordan Love. Uh, you, sometimes you see these little bits and pieces of games, and you see the play where he's trying to get a snap and run a quarterback no. sneak, and no one else moves. <laughs> it was one of the funniest. just runs into the back of his <laughs> offensive lineman. This was a weird game, though, and the Falcons are finding ways to to stay relevant, even though uh, sometimes the numbers aren't pretty. I keep on seeing. B. John Robinson just making plays every single week. You know, he's bucking the trend of you shouldn't draft a running back in round one. He's a reason why you might want to consider it because he's dynamic. What do you think about this game? I think that Jordan Love is in a bit of a learning process and he looked good, but at the end of this game, their offense broke down. So the Falcons scored a touchdown that made it 24 19. 
Packers get the ball back. There's just under 12 minutes left in the fourth, right? You're up by five points. Atlanta's trying to come back. And then here are the last three possessions for the Packers in this one. Three plays, two yards, punt. Three plays, five yards, punt. Four plays, turnover on downs. Last three possessions, they got nothing. And not only did they get nothing, they couldn't hold on to the ball for very long. The first possession took less than a minute. The second possession took two minutes. And the last possession took 19 seconds. So you had the lead already. You didn't need to necessarily score points, but you at least had to be able to keep the chains moving and take time off the clock. And the Packers absolutely couldn't do it. And the Falcons capitalized every single time. So, yeah, that that's one of those where you, you just get one drive. Like if you just have one drive, yep. you win the game and they just failed to do it. I agree with you about Jordan Love and the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of people thought that this team was just going to fold and, and they're not going to be very good with Desmond Ritter. They're finding ways to win, and kudos to them. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, again, I, th- I don't think they're going to be a bad football team. It, a lot of people were curious about Jordan Love. I think you said learning curve is a great way to describe it. Let's go to a game that I thought was very interesting in the fact if you talk about from week one to week two. So week one, what everyone is talking about is kickoff game. The Detroit Lions find a way to beat Kansas City on the road in Arrowhead. What happens in week two? They have a huge lead at some point. I don't know if it's huge. That might be the wrong adjective. They have a big lead against the Seahawks, and then Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks come crawling back, and they win 37-31. to Same old Lions? I don't know. Seahawks maybe coming back? What do you think? You're an NFC West guy. I mean, neither defense is very good, in my opinion, but I thought the game really swung on Jared Goff, just throwing a pick six. And, and Goff, I think, had the third longest streak ever of consecutive passes without an interception until that one but the Seahawks score a touchdown to take the lead it's 24 21 Detroit gets the ball back just under 11 minutes to go and they start driving down the field trying to move the ball and Jared Goff just throws a pick six and that made it a two score game I didn't decide the game but it made it so much harder for the Lions to get the ball or to win the game. Now they did score a touchdown on the following drive, but it just wasn't enough. Ultimately that to me was the turning point. Jared Goff has to be really, really good all the time because the lions defense is not going to stop anybody. They don't scare anybody. They're not going to stop anybody. And this is what happens. Seattle did just enough. Tyler Lockett is a really good freaking player. He scored two touchdowns, including the game winner and Seattle escapes. And it's a big, Big win for Seattle because they would have been 0-2. They would have had two losses in the NFC, and they would have had a division loss in the NFC West because they lost to the Rams in week one. So that would have been a terrible start to the Seahawks for their season. When they buckled down and they came back when they needed to, and credit to them. And this game went to overtime. I didn't even mention that. This was an overtime win for mm-hmm. the Seattle. Tyler Lockett, I believe, caught the game-winning touchdown pass on the uh, opening drive of overtime. And again, Geno Smith, last week we talked about it, the the hot mic moment when Aaron Donald's bearing down on him. He goes, oh my God. He gets in another hot mic moment where he's complaining about an intentional grounding call and the official says, hey, could you knock it off? I'm trying to talk to America here. Like it was- <laughs> that official is a star. So good. So funny. I loved it. And the Seahawks and Lions, like we said, week to week, you never know how it's going to go in the NFL. Most people would have had the Lions as an easy win at home. They lose in overtime. Both teams are one and one. Now the Indianapolis Colts, they they found a way against the Houston Texans. The CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson, boy, did they put on a show until Anthony Richardson got put in the concussion protocol. 
Final score, 31-20. C.J. Stroud goes off. What was what was his stat line, Rob? I'm sure you have it there in front of you. 30 of 47 for 384 with two Holy touchdowns God. and no picks. 384. I believe I saw a statistic that stated he was the first Ohio State quarterback to ever throw that many yards in an NFL game. So, wow. yeah, in, in a loss. I mean, it's, it's impressive. Uh, but it, the battle of rookie quarterbacks, what takeaways did you have from this one? I thought that Stroud looked really good as a passer, and I thought Anthony Richardson looked really good as a rusher. Two rushing touchdowns for Richardson. It's unfortunate he got the concussion on a, one of those plays. He ran it into the end zone, and then just head just one of those where it whips into the ground. It wasn't necessarily a big hit. It's just, you know, he did, couldn't really brace himself, and he took that hit and had to uh, go into the concussion protocol. In comes Gardner Minshew, who's the guy I wanted my 49ers to sign to be their backup quarterback, and he just, you know, does exactly what you want your backup quarterback to do. Come in, steady the ship, 19 of 23, 171 yards, a touchdown, no picks, just very calmly just picked it up for the Colts and kept everything smooth and everything running. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that the Colts are going anywhere this year, but there aren't many teams where your starting quarterback could go down and your backup can come in and it's, you know, everything just runs like it always has. And the Colts are one of them. There's certain parts of this game, like you said, 47 attempts for C.J. Stroud. We mm -hmm. talked about it last week. What the hell are you doing? Like, you can't ask your quarterback, your rookie quarterback, to do this. And then on the Anthony Richardson, the other side of the field, is he even going to survive? I mean, last week he left the game with that knee injury when he was tackled. Mm -hmm. Now he's getting a concussion. We talked about the absence of Jonathan Taylor, but my gosh, this guy's got to be able to stay upright if this team's going to ever do anything. So when you talk about these two rookie quarterbacks, you got CJ Stroud, he's chucking the ball all over the yard. That's not going to be good for his health eventually at some point. And Anthony Richardson is is kind of trying to do it all himself. That's it's tough. It's a tough place for both of these rookie quarterbacks. It's a it's a tough tightrope to walk if you're the Colts. Because on the one hand, like Anthony Richardson, you drafted him because of his mobility, because he can run and do all those things. If you take that away from him, he's essentially playing with one hand tied behind his back. And especially in his rookie year, he's not going to be able to read defenses and see the field and do all those things like he will later on. He's going to have to rely on his legs to sort of help him out, you know, like a get out of jail free card. Yeah, maybe he misses a read or misses an open guy, but he can run around and make plays and pick up yards so that even some of the plays that could have been negatives could still turn into positives. But you can only do that if you can stay healthy on the field. And like you said, he's been banged up twice in two weeks. Yeah, it's 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 going to be really interesting, not only to see if he clears concussion protocol before week three, but just how these teams tailor their game plans accordingly for their rookie quarterbacks, especially CJ Stroud. I mean, you ask the guy to throw the ball 47 times, uh, any rookie is going to struggle a little bit, but he had a good game. He had a good game. The Texans didn't lose because of CJ Stroud. I, I'll put it that way. All right, yes. let's go to a game where a lot of, a lot of fans, you know, you talk about fan bases, you talk about what the narratives were surrounding these two teams. You had the Chicago Bears fan base that was like, hey, Justin Fields just needs some weapons around him. You know, like that's what he needs because he can. They all said it. I've talked to a lot of them personally. He can he can throw it. You just got to give him the weapons. And then you have a situation with the Buccaneers where with Tom Brady retiring, they're like, ah, we're not going to be very good. This isn't good. Baker Mayfield's not the guy. Well, it's only been two weeks, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-0. Mike Evans is Mike Evans. We talked about him last week. The guy's a freak. Uh, they went 27 to 17 and now all of a sudden the bears are turning on Justin Fields. The fan base is saying this guy sucks. Like, he can't throw the ball. He's holding the ball forever, taking unnecessary sacks. 
Uh, what are your thoughts about this NFC game? Yeah, I mean, Justin Fields, you summed it up. There are some people who were convinced that Justin Fields was going to make this huge leap because he had a couple of good games at the end of last year, and they were like, oh, it's going to be like Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. It's like, no, those things don't happen very often. Justin Fields can't throw the ball. He stinks as a passer. It's not just like, well, he's not good. He's terrible as a passer. He holds the ball too long. He misses open receivers. He stares down his first read too long. He runs into sacks. He does terrible things as a passer. 16 of 29 in the game, 211 yards, one touchdown, two picks, six sacks in the game and just four carries for three yards by the way so he wasn't even contributing as a rusher which is the best thing he does justin fields isn't very good right now and i don't know that he's ever going to be very good i don't care what bears fans say right now he just looks like it's not it no and that's got to be an absolute gut punch for the organization that's put so much stock into him i still laugh as a Steeler fan the fact that they gave away a, a a second round pick for Chase Claypool, who is literally just the epitome of a waste. Um, the guy has the size, the speed, everything that you would want for a, a guy that could do whatever you want. He could be on the outside. He could be in the slot. He could be almost like a pseudo tight end. He has that body build. The dude just doesn't have it. I don't know if it's a, he just doesn't have the will to the want to whatever it is. It was a ball that was thrown his way that he can't corral and it turns into an interception. But I also don't want to spend too much time on Chicago because Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers are at least doing some positive things. And I mentioned Mike Evans, who had another hell of a day. What do you think about these Buccaneers, man? Mike Evans, six for 171 and a touchdown, including a long of 70 yards. All this guy does is put up a thousand yards and at least 10 touchdowns every single year. And everybody looks at Mike Evans and they're like, "Mm, he's mid. And I'm like... (laughs) What? <laughs> Dude's really good. And he hasn't always had Tom Brady. It's very, yeah. very weird. Baker, 26 of 34, 317 yards, threw up a touchdown. Fine. That's, that's, you'll take that as a Buccaneer fan all day long. You're not going to play the Bears every week, but look, the Bucs are 2 0. It's a very winnable division for them. They're stacking the victory. So credit to them. And at a time when Mike Evans himself said, look, you have until I think it was the Saturday before we came to try to get a new deal done or else I'm going to be a free agent next year. How do you not pay that guy? Like you said, he's been nothing but consistent his entire career. Yeah. And it seems like they're ready to part ways with him. I don't get it, I don't, but I'm not a Tampa Bay fan. I don't know. And like, who else are you paying if you're the Bucs? It's not like you have a ton of huge contracts and you just can't afford to sign Mike Evans. Like, no, you you could pay him. It's really not yeah. that complicated. And he's been uber consistent. He's had a thousand yards literally every year. He's been in the league. I think he's the first wide receiver to ever start his career with like five straight thousand yard seasons in the history of the league. Like I, I don't get it. And the team is riddled with rookies. I think they have something like 19 rookies on their roster, on their game day roster. Maybe that's maybe a 13 or something. It's in the double digits. We're talking undrafted players, players that they drafted, they're not spending a ton of money, but hey, if Mike Evans is a free agent, there's going to be teams that are going to be willing to pay top dollar for that yep. guy's skill set. People I paid it. Remember what Jackson? Remember what Jacksonville paid for Christian Kirk? Just keep that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's go to the next game. The, the New York Giants. They had forgotten how to play football for about <laughs> I don't know five quarters where they hadn't even scored a point. <laughs> the Cardinals come out to this lead, and I'm sitting there watching this game, bouncing around. And I'm watching Joshua Dobbs trucking New York giant defenders at the goal line and getting into the end zone. I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible. Like you just don't know what the NFL 
Then again, the Giants come storming back, even though Saquon Barkley leaves the game with an ankle injury, and they find a way to win 31-28. to I can't put my finger on this Giants team if that saved my life. They got blown, they got their doors blown off by the Cowboys in week one, and they have to come back against a really bad Cardinals team. Rob, what do you think about this team? The Giants were outscored 60 to nothing in the first six quarters of their season. If they're playing anybody else other than the Cardinals, they lose this game. But Arizona is just an absolute tire fire and they gack up the lead. I mean, good on the Giants for coming back. Daniel Jones in the second half played way better than he did in the first half. Ended up with over 300 yards, a couple of touchdown passes. Also ran the ball for a touchdown, nine carries, 59 yards. So Daniel Jones picked it up in the second half and the Cardinals just absolutely went into a shell in the second half. They scored on their first uh, possession in the second half and then they went punt, 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 end of game. And the Giants just kept kept scoring. Here's the Giants in the second half. Touchdown. Touchdown, 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 field goal. That's how you overcome you a 28-point deficit. And credit to the Giants. I know Saquon went down at the end of that game, and they play the Niners on Thursday, so that's obviously very scary for Giant fans. But they could have been looking at 0-2 when they had a lot of expectations coming off the playoffs last year. And instead, they found a way to come back and get the win. 1-1, one one. they're going to be competing for a wild-card spot. If you want to sneak into one of those spots, you can't lose to the Cardinals, and the Giants didn't. No. And I, you know, the Cardinals are at least they're playing tough. You know, you, people say, you know, they're, they're tanking and they're just playing for next year and all this stuff. Well, they're at least playing tough and they're putting their best foot forward. And like I said, Joshua Dobbs is a great dude, obviously as covering him when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers before he started mm-hmm. bouncing around the league. Uh, yeah. He, they're, they're putting their best effort out there. Kind of very emblematic of just give me one more drive. If they would have just had one more good drive. They probably find a way to win, just they cannot do it. That's a sign of a not-so-great team. Let's talk about your team, the San Francisco 49ers. I felt like this was a not a trap game, and the 49ers are great in week one. Everyone's thinking that the Rams are not going to be very good, despite them beating the Seahawks in week one. The Rams come out. It's a pretty close game. Now, all of a sudden, Brandon Ayuk leaves with a shoulder injury, and you're thinking, wow, like what's, what's this going to look like? 49ers win 30-23. to 23. Your take. Go ahead. It wasn't as pretty as some of their other victories that they've had, but not every game is going to be pretty. The 49ers didn't get a passing touchdown from their quarterback. Nick Bosa doesn't have a single sack in two weeks. Yet here we go. The Niners still scored 30 points. And oh, by the way, they're 2-0. They've won 12 straight in the regular season. There were a lot of unhappy 49er fans in my instant reaction show on the Gold Standard Network YouTube channel yesterday after the game. And I keep telling people, like, what are you unhappy about? This was the quote-unquote bad game for Brock Purdy where he didn't turn the ball over, managed a great drive at the end of the second quarter and stuck it in with a touchdown run to tie the game right before halftime. 206 yards. That's the bad game, and you still scored 30, and you still won? I don't know why people are upset. I'll take that every day of the week. It's a division game. Like Sometimes people really forget about that. These division games are... Sometimes weird stuff happens. The familiarity aspect of things does play a role. The the Rams, despite a roster that's not nearly close to what it was when they won a Super Bowl, still has some really solid players. Matthew Stafford seems to be healthy and looks like he's his old self. Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald, for crying out loud. And Christian McCaffrey, man, that guy's good. (laughs) 
<laughs> offensive player of the year. 20 carries, 116 yards, had a touchdown, broke off a 51-yard run in this one after a 65-yard touchdown last week. Yep. I mean, the guys he's a friggin' machine. It's unbelievable how good he is for the 49ers. And as long as he stays healthy, I think they're just going to keep churning right along. And they'll probably put up 30 next week against the Giants on Thursday Night Football. And your fan base will bitch about it. <laughs> I just like, what are we talking about here? Like, I, I I don't get it. And like people, you know, Purdy's mid and all this stuff. It's like, man, did you expect him to throw two touchdowns every single week? Like Patrick Mahomes doesn't do that. No. You know you're hey, you know things are going well when George Kittle's going in motion, the snap hits him and oh goes my. directly to Christian McCaffrey. And it's like, oh, that's the way they drew it up. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the 49ers could have put up 40 points in this game because Brock Purdy missed at least two touchdown passes where guys were wide open. They had beaten the defense. There was nobody behind him. And Purdy overthrew two guys that should have been touchdowns. So, you know, again, that was a bad week. And they still put up 30 points. The Titans would cut off their own arm to put up 30 points in a game. The Niners are doing it every single week. The Steelers would, too. I'll tell you that. They haven't yes. played yet this week. <laughs> All exactly. right. So, hey, the 49ers, that what what you're telling me, and I watched a lot of this game, it was a down, it was a, it wasn't a great week, and you still find a way to win. And you brought it up before we went on the air, or maybe it was early in the show, I can't remember. If McVeigh doesn't kick a meaningless field goal, it's a two-score win. You know, yeah. so the final score might not be as emblematic of the actual game. So right. double digit win on the road, by the way. I, yeah. I'm convinced McVay had money on the game. Like, why else do you kick that field goal? Niners <laughs> were favored by seven and a half. Oh, kicks a field goal on the last <laughs> play of the game, down 10, meaningless, and now it becomes a seven-point game. Back door cover is what that's called. Kudos yep. to McVay if he had some money on that. I'm sure a lot of people were pissed about that. But anyways, <laughs> let's go to a game that, you know, uh, i got to give it to Coach Salah for saying, hey, this is Zach's team. Talking about the New York Jets after Aaron Rodgers goes down with a ruptured Achilles tendon. He's done for the year. They might be not, they might not be saying the same thing moving forward. The New York Jets just get absolutely demolished by the Cowboys, 30 to 10. And even that 10, I don't even know how they got it. <laughs> the Cowboys defense is good. They are really good. But the Jets, with they just have so much talent, and I'm I'm thinking about you know these players that have gone there, and you think about uh, Dalvin Cook who chose to go to the Jets, although he didn't play well in this game. They're thinking they're going to go to a Super Bowl contender, and now they're on a, a team that looks like it's floundering. And you got Sauce Gardner deactivating his Twitter account. You've got Brees Hall complaining about the amount of touches that he had. That is an organization that's gone from look at us to holy cow dumpster fire in a hurry. Let's talk about the Jets first, then we'll get to the Cowboys. What do you think about that situation? Robert Sala, look, I love him. He's a Niners former defensive coordinator, but what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing entrusting this team to Zach Wilson? Zach Wilson's the entire reason Aaron Rodgers is on this team right now because he was so bad that you knew you had to trade for somebody. And now Aaron Rodgers gets hurt and you unequivocally throw all this support behind Zach Wilson? Why? This is who Zach Wilson is. How many more times do we have to see him go out and be reckless with the football before we realize this guy is terrible? The last three possessions for the Jets in this game all ended in interceptions. Pick, pick, pick. Zach Wilson stinks. How the Jets have not called the Minnesota Vikings and traded for Kirk Cousins 
or called the Indianapolis Colts and traded for Gardner Minshew or called the New Orleans Saints and traded for James Winston. Like, what are you doing? That is franchise malpractice to have a defense as good as the Jets have and to give it to that guy. He's a walking turnover. And that's the one thing that can neutralize a great defense. The Jets are being irresponsible right now and they deserve everything they get when they start Zach Wilson. You got to think maybe the organization said, hey, you know, he was with Rodgers, improved a lot, learned a lot from him in the preseason. I know that's poppycock, but still, for me, I wonder if they said, let's give him this game. Let, let, let's see how he does in this game. They've got to be on the horn right now. I mean, it, hell, even be yeah. on the horn with the Pittsburgh Steelers for Mitch Trubisky or Mason Rudolph, because even yes. as bad as they are, they're better than what he is right now. It's insanity. Yeah. Yes. And you have this roster that was structured in a way that they need to win now. And I agree with you 100%. It is malpractice for them to just say, uh, this sucks. You know, Aaron Rodgers is down. I guess we're done. How can you do that with all that talent? It just doesn't add up. But we'll see if they make a move. But kudos to the Cowboys, man. I don't like the Cowboys. I don't like the Cowboys fan base. They're obnoxious. They're annoying. But still, <laughs> that defense is good. And Michael Parsons is going to be, he's already injected himself into defensive player of the year categories. He's just, he's all over the place. They're usually utilizing him well. What did you think about the Cowboys? Michael Parsons is just flat out terrifying. Like, I don't yeah. know where he's going to line up on any given play, but I know he's going to be screaming to the football. He's like a monster out there on the field. It's unbelievable. And I think the two quarterbacks that needed a bounce back week the most, Dak Prescott and Josh Allen, and they both responded. Dak was perfect in this game. 31 of 38, two touchdowns, no picks. I know the Cowboys kicked a lot of field goals, but I think that was more Mike McCarthy saying, look, as long as we get points, we ain't losing this game because Zach Wilson's yeah. not going to do a damn thing against us. So I, I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about it. They still put up 30 points again as it was. Dak got a little testy after the game talking about his interceptions because I think reporters said like, hey, you didn't go two straight weeks last year without throwing an interception. And he was like, well, I don't care about the interception. So what? What about the year before? It's like, all right, <laughs> you care a little back. So he's heard the criticism, but great start for the Cowboys. This is exactly what you needed to do when you have the Giants and the Jets in the first two weeks of the schedule. And you're 2-0. and You're going to be competing for a number one seed in the NFC. So everything is good right now if you're a Cowboy fan. I'm trying to check really quickly. I don't know who they play next week. Uh, Arizona. Oh, man. Could you have oh, a friggin' start to the schedule if you're the Cowboys? <laughs> My goodness. No wonder their defense looks so good. What a murderer's row of games to start the season. God, that's unbelievable. How have I not talked about that before? Jets or Giants, Jets, Cardinals to start the year. Man, pillowy soft for the Cowboys. They scored 40 in week one, didn't they? They did. They've outscored opponents 70 to 10 in two weeks. That is remarkable. It's going to even be bigger after next week. <laughs> probably. No, you're probably right. So the Cowboys, they look like they're going to be at least contenders in the early portions of the season. I thought one of the most intriguing games was one that got no national attention whatsoever, and that was the Washington Commanders and the Denver Broncos. And just the way this game ended was absolutely remarkable. Uh, the Broncos Hail Mary pass is completed. They need a two point conversion to send it to overtime. All the Broncos fans are up in arms saying this was pass interference. How did they not call that? It was a pass that was knocked down. Could they have called? I didn't think it was interference. I thought if anything, it was, uh, you know, a defensive, uh, either you could call it holding or just illegal contact. 
Nonetheless, Commanders find a way to win 35-33. to I don't know what to make of either of these two teams. I think the Broncos, even with Sean Payton, it just seems like they're a floundering organization for some reason. But Rob, what are your, what's your take? Yeah, I don't expect much out of either one of these teams, but good for the Commanders to get the win. They're 2-0. They could have collapsed after that Hail Mary, right? They could have yep. said, oh my God, I can't believe it. They could have been deflated. They buckled down. It's not their fault, you know, that their flag didn't come out. Like, let's, I'm not going to ask them yeah. to apologize for that under no circumstances. Sam Howell put up just under 300 yards, 299 yards in the game, two touchdowns. They were efficient moving the ball. I thought Denver was supposed to have a little bit of a defense. I don't know where that went. And I'm sorry. Like, I know Russell Wilson, you know, threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns, but he just, he was 18 of 32 in the game. Just, I don't know where that Seattle guy is, but he is nowhere to be found right now. And I don't know that there's a real uh, trust factor or belief between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. I I think it's going to go poorly for the Broncos this year. Yeah, it's weird. Everyone was shocked when he was traded from Seattle. Like, oh my gosh, how would Seattle trade this guy? Like, he's gotten them to Super Bowls. They've won a Super Bowl with him. Maybe Seattle knew something that no one, everyone else is just finding out now. And that is that he is just... I don't know. He's just not that great. I remember I met a, a 49ers fan and he said, I hate Russell Wilson with all of my being. He is the fakest human being on this planet. And I was like, wow, those are really strong words. That's aggressive, but okay. <laughs> he was a 49ers um, fan. That's why I was like, Hey, it's a division thing. I get it. it like was, the Steelers. It wasn't me. Seven <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was <laughs> Russ was sacked seven times and he led the league in sacks last year and one of the big reasons he wanted to leave seattle is because he was getting sacked too much <laughs> yeah and they signed the 49ers tackle didn't they mike mcglinchy yes yeah. they did 80 million dollars fully guaranteed or 50 million or something some crazy amount of money like that uh, no not good yeah for Denver. oh and two and in that division in that conference your season's pretty much cooked yeah All right, let's talk about the Sunday night game. I was intrigued by this one. It's a division game, AFC East, the Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots in New England. Shocker, Tyreek Hill's talking about how awful Boston fans are after the game. Like, yeah, that this was my shock face, in which case I'm not shocked at all. (laughs) Earth this from the Red Sox. It's all over the place. Boston fans are are the worst, in my opinion. But the Miami Dolphins, they go on the road. They win the game 24 to 17. I uh, can't be honest. I, I got to be honest. I didn't stay up to watch all of this one, but at the same time, the dolphins are a team that's, they're just going to be a tough out. As long as Tua stays healthy, he's throwing the ball extremely well. He's got a lot of weapons with Waddle and Tyree kill, not to mention the running game, which they're having a couple, couple players, uh, former 49er uh, is obviously doing a damage down there as well. What do you think about this AFC East game? Miami's offense is so, so Fast. It's not just Hill and Waddle. You mentioned Raheem Mostert, 18 carries, 121 yards. He broke out, uh, had a 43-yard touchdown run in this game. The speed is everywhere for these guys. They could take plays that are maybe only blocked for a five or an eight-yard gain and take it to the house. And that's just on every single play. Credit to Tua Tungavailoa, now undefeated against Bill Belichick in his career. I think he's 5-0 and against Belichick in his career, which is pretty good. And for the Patriots... Second straight week, they have a turnover on downs at the end of the game when they're trying to come back to tie it or take the lead. Did you see the end of this game for the Patriots? What happened? It was a crazy play. They complete So Mac Jones, it's fourth and four. Mac Jones completes a short pass to Mike Giusecki, and he realizes he's not going to make it. He laterals the ball to Cole Strange, 
and and looks initially like he's going to get the first down, but eventually they replayed it and they overturned it. So he was close to getting the first down, but no. And so that's how the last gasp ended for the Patriots. Just like last week when they completed a pass on the sideline, but the receiver didn't get both feet in bounds on fourth down and they turned the ball over on downs at the end of the game. So Patriots defense looks okay. Rough start to them. They're obviously 0-2, but the Dolphins, as long as they keep two upright, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. Is Belichick's legacy being slightly tarnished by how these teams are playing minus Tom Brady, in your opinion? I don't think so. I think Belichick is the exact same guy he's always been. The problem is Belichick, the coach, is way better than Belichick, the GM. They just don't have any... The offensive personnel is terrible for the Patriots, and they don't have the greatest quarterback of all time to make up for that like they did in the past. So I think Bill is the same guy he's always been, but when you don't have the quarterback, you look a lot different. Well said. Very well said. All right. uh, Let's put a bow on week two. Obviously, there's the Monday night games tonight with Carolina and New Orleans in the early game and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns in. I can't believe they're overlapping these games. It makes no sense why the NFL would do that. Nonetheless, it seems like they're killing their own product. Hey, it is what it is. What did you think about the Sunday games, uh, Rob, from week two? I Like I said at the top of the show, I loved the slate like I thought the games were so much more interesting this week than last week I think teams are kind of rounding into form a little bit you know a lot of people don't play in the preseason so week one's a little weird I think we're starting to see these teams kind of take shape and show us who they are a little bit but let's talk about your Steelers on Monday Night Football come on you're facing the Browns Browns made the Cincinnati look inept in week one your Steelers looked inept in week one what do you got give me a little preview here I got to be honest. I think the Steelers, you know, the fan base is ready. They're jumping off ledges. Like seriously, guard the bridges in Pittsburgh because there's the Steelers faithful. They're standing on every single one of them. There's like a million in that town and they're ready to jump. And if they have another flat performance like they did in week one, the fan base is going to be just done there because all of the hype surrounding this team in the preseason, it just has gone completely south. This is a game where if, if you're asking me, it's I think it's gonna be a low scoring affair. T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith have to win this game for the Steelers. And that sounds crazy. T.J. Watt has done it before. Yes. <laughs> He's a defensive player of the year for a reason. He has literally said, hey, I'll I'll get the ball back for us. I'll do it myself. I'll sack the quarterback, strip the ball, pick it up. I'll get it back. Let's go. Let's go score some points. They're going to have to have a big game with uh, Jack Conklin. The right tackle for the Browns is out. Alex Highsmith has done very well against Jed Willis. The left tackle, where are you going to put the help? They got to win those matchups. I think the Steelers do find a way to win. I think Mike Tomlin at home on Monday Night Football is really good. They can't afford to go 0-2. If they could get a 1-1 record, be above the Bengals, really help them as they get ready to go to Vegas next week, and then they have the Texans after that. So they might be able to stack some wins, but they have to win tonight. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited for it. Yeah, AFC North could look, it will look very different after this game if Cleveland wins, then you'll have Baltimore and Cleveland at 2-0 and and everybody else winless in a division. But if the Steelers can win, and even their record at 1-1, and then they're tied with the Browns for second in the division. Just, you know, a game back of the Ravens. It changes the division a lot. And I feel like, honestly, like, you tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like if the Steelers lose this game, then the whole season just becomes, can Mike Tomlin finish above 500? Which is not the standard for a good head coach. Well, it's not only that. It's not only is Mike Tomlin going to be able to scrap together a 500 record, which is why the fan base calls him mediocre Mike, uh, because it's like, <laughs> what are we celebrating? We're celebrating like mediocrity here. 
Uh, but it's also, is Kenny Pickett really the guy? Because everyone thought coming into this after the preseason was very pristine that he is the guy. Well, yep. he wasn't the guy in week one. That was not anything close to the guy in week one. So if Kenny Pickett can bounce back, have a good game, even look like the quarterback the Steelers saw in the second half of last year when they went seven and two and won their final four games, then there's going to be a little bit of a better feeling about this team. This is a big game for Pittsburgh, and it's only week two, but it's a big game for Pittsburgh. You have to find if you're going to be anything in the AFC, you have to find a way to win this game. Starting 0-2 in that conference, you're you're digging yourself a hole that I don't know that anybody can dig out of. So this is your season for the Steelers, I think. And hopefully they do it. I will be pulling for them. I hope so. And you can hear my takes on all this on the Steel Curtain Network right here on Fans for Sports Network. Wherever you get your podcasts or Steelers, you'll find the Steel Curtain Network. You can find me on Twitter at jhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. Rob, tell them how they can find your work. So I'm at the Gold Standard 49ers Podcast Network. You can search Gold Standard Network on YouTube or in any podcast app. It'll pop right up. I am on all the socials at Stats on Fire. All the 49er coverage you could possibly ever hope for. And we will be back next Monday. That's right. Monday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time is when we'll have this live streaming and you can catch it on the podcast platform shortly after. We will see you next week after week three. Rob, take it easy. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff.